Olá pessoal, tudo bem? And welcome to the Brazil Crypto Report podcast, where we talk to the builders, entrepreneurs, and influencers from across the Brazil crypto ecosystem. I'm your host, Aaron Stanley, and I'm joined here by Kim Grauer, who's the director of research at Chainalysis and one of the authors of a recent report analyzing cryptocurrency gains by country. Welcome, Kim. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for having me. So to get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about Chainalysis and what you do there? Chainalysis is the crypto blockchain data platform. And what that means is that we collect the wallet data of cryptocurrency businesses. We identify the services that are engaging in cryptocurrency. So on a block explorer, you might see transactions going between cryptocurrency addresses that are meaningless, whereas in our product, you'd see transfers between known services. This is an extremely powerful data set. And so we repackage it up and sell it in different forms to law enforcement, governments, cryptocurrency businesses, and financial institutions. And our overall mission with the research we do and the products we sell is to bring transparency to blockchains. My role is the director of research. I get to sit on top of all of this data that we collect about services and ask economic questions of that data. If we have all of the cryptocurrency flowing in and out of illicit services or exchanges, you're actually very well positioned to answer important economic questions. So we leverage the fact that we have the best data in the industry, just period the end for a variety of reasons, one of which is we've just been around the longest. And then I sit on top of that data and facilitate the creation of these reports that then we kind of just put out into the public domain. Our most famous report is the crypto crime report. It comes out about once a year, but we also do a lot of other types of research, estimating crypto activity by country, looking at the gains estimates of at the country level for cryptocurrency usage, doing research on the NFT markets or DeFi more broadly. Great, great. So turning to this report or this analysis that you just recently put out looking at cryptocurrency gains by country. And maybe talk a bit about some of the methodology behind this analysis of, of the cryptocurrency gains piece specifically. Like what were what were sort of the methodology of how you went about looking at this? And obviously you have pretty good visibility into blockchain activity, but like what were like the data points you were looking for and you know why did you opt to use those essentially? The crypto gains estimate is kind of a subset of our broader geographic work. And our broader geographic work involves pairing the total amount of cryptocurrency transaction volume at services with another data set called SimilarWeb, which is web traffic data. Now, web traffic data allows us to ask to see some really interesting details about these services. One exchange, let's take Huobi, a few years ago, maybe had 90, 95% activity coming from China. Now we know that it's basically a global exchange at this point. We can see that Gemini has 80% activity in the United States in any given month. We're able to pair the geographic web traffic data with the total volumes to create estimates of total overall activity at each country. So that gives us, we, we, we merge that together, do a few transformations, weight everything for population and purchasing power to get our cryptocurrency index to talk about grassroots adoption. But with gains, gains is an interesting concept. And what we did here was we have a calculation that basically looks at the weighted average cost of acquisition of cryptocurrency for a particular wallet 
and compare that to the value at the time that the cryptocurrency left the wallet, which would be a proxy for a sell. And we applied this methodology. It's, it's a heuristic that we built in, in-house. I can't get into the, the exact details of how we calculate it, but we apply that gains equation at the service level and then disperse those gains based on the web traffic data to different countries. Okay. Interesting. So, I mean, turning to the, the Brazil market specifically, uh, which is obviously the focus of, of this podcast, just want to kind of get some of your takeaways on, I guess, Brazil market specifically, and maybe how it kind of compares to other countries in the LATAM region and also other, you know, emerging market, quote unquote, countries or BRICS countries or, or countries that are usually kind of grouped in the same basket as, a, as an economy like Brazil. So, so turning to the Brazil market in particular, were there any, I mean, what were kind of the main themes or trends that you saw out of this market? Brazil ranks 14 overall on our cryptocurrency adoption index, just behind China. For some context, Vietnam, India, Pakistan, Ukraine, Kenya are the top five on our index when we look at the total value received and weight all of our data by purchasing power and in some, time, in some instances population. So Brazil's 14. It's a big market. It's a big crypto market. And this is, if, if we look at the subcomponents of that metric, the index is a weighted combination of three variables, peer-to-peer markets, retail, and total value received. And Brazil is, is really high up in total value received. So it doesn't have a huge peer-to-peer market. It's, it, is, it does have a strong retail market, but the way in which it is the, the highest performer is in the total value received. What this means to us is that I, I guess I guess stepping back before we just interpret the raw data is we are really limited with our data. All we can see is the transactions happening. So if there's a transaction sent to an exchange, we can see that transaction happening, but we can't ask the intention behind the transfer. We can't we can't we just can't do that because that would be too many questions. And so when you send money to an exchange, you can kind of extrapolate all the different reasons why someone might be sending money to a Brazilian exchange. We won't know for certain because all we have access to is the blockchain data. So we supplement our research with interviews from people. And in Brazil in particular, what we've heard a lot about is a really large institutional trading ecosystem, hedge funds, potentially institutional traders that are opening up and really interested in the Brazil market. But we also heard about other interesting kind of sub-markets in Brazil. We heard about some importing of sometimes counterfeit goods, but not definitely not only counterfeit goods being imported from China to Brazil on the rails of cryptocurrency. That is something that is not unique to Brazil. We've seen other countries adopt this importing model using cryptocurrency for a variety of reasons, but it was definitely popping up in something that we heard about in Brazil. So we've got institutional investment, but just a big population, you know, and a lot of crypto users, plus some uh, commerce starting to happen on the rails of cryptocurrency, I think have all worked together to push Brazil to the top of the index. So there's less peer-to-peer activity that you that you might see in like a Venezuela or a similar or a, another market like that, where there's a bit more of like payment, like the, the payments infrastructure the tr- uh, in Brazil is pretty good, so-called traditional payments infrastructure. So there's not quite as much of a need for crypto payments or things of that nature. 
But what you're saying is it's really more of there's an investment activity happening. Funds are coming into these Brazilian exchanges, whether they be bulk orders that the that the exchanges are purchasing or whether it's people sending their funds to these Brazilian exchanges. And there's quite, quite also quite a bit of institutional activity going on that maybe isn't well publicized at this point, or maybe these people aren't necessarily vocal about their activity, but you can surmise based on this data that there's quite a bit of institutional interest within Brazil. That's sort of the broad takeaway. Am I, am I summarizing that accurately or am I, am I butchering that? <laughs> no, I think that's definitely a good summary of the takeaway in Brazil, that it compared to its peers in the region, there's, we hear more about institutional financial institutions, large players, large to high net worth individuals that are onboarded into cryptocurrency in Brazil than any other country in the region. Of course, that's a generalization based on our data, and you'll find examples of high net worth individuals all throughout Latin America, throughout the world in onboarded into cryptocurrency. But it's it's a theme that we've been that we've been seeing in Brazil. From your the interviews that you've conducted, is there anything that makes this market kind of unique or anything particularly challenging about trying to measure this activity that maybe you don't find in other markets? So it's a massive sort of like jigsaw puzzle you're trying to put together, right? Where you have you have some data that's like the transfers and the wallet addresses, but you can't know exactly who owns this or where it's going. Or you can, most cases you can tell who it is or where it's going, but you can't tell the intention behind it. So is this person selling or are they buying? Or are they using this for crime? Or are they doing this to pay somebody? Or are they doing this as an investment? And then you're supplementing that with interviews and basically trying to discern, okay, what is the actual motivations of these people who are uh, conducting who are conducting these transactions, essentially. So I guess I would just be curious as to in Brazil specifically that that is kind of unique on this front, um, where like people's motivations might be a bit different than you know maybe other other parts of the LATAM region. Well, we also look at transfer sizes, which is another kind of kernel, you know, a little indication of what the intention of the underlying of the transaction might be. So if you're looking at a Brazilian exchange that has many $10 million transactions, that's going to be, there's some obvious differences to that than maybe a Venezuelan exchange that's where you're seeing a lot of $500 payments. And so we can glean a little bit. We can also learn more about the counterparty. So is a, are funds going from a Brazilian service in a large quantities to a non-Brazilian service, maybe an international service. And so we can ask interesting questions of the data. And Brazil does have a much higher concentration of large institutional professional size transfers than its counterparts in the region, especially if you compare it to um, countries where we know the crypto markets are just fundamentally different, like Venezuela, where we know that Venezuela, Venezuelans are using cryptocurrency in kind of a, a way to survive a little bit, people are trying to dust to get money the best way that they can. Remittances would be coming into the country, maybe sometimes even leaving the country in smaller amounts. Whereas Brazil, we see almost 30% of the transactions associated with the Brazilian exchanges we've identified are large institutional transfers that are over $10 million. And this is consistent with what we've heard. There's, like we said, people trying to grow their wealth, speculation in crypto markets. There's more wealth and it's trying to find a place to kind of be invested and grown. And so you have to, to understand the crypto market. 
you have to also understand the context in which the crypto markets are existing. Is there hyperinflation? Are there capital controls? Is there a, a culture of regulatory acceptance? Um, what is the overall sentiment towards cryptocurrencies? All of these will come together to create a unique environment, which if you're Brazilian, for example, might just kind of make sense when you're describing where you live. So if you look at other countries, um, let's take Nigeria, a huge crypto markets. But what we know with Nigeria is that there are the capital controls that prevent people from being able to kind of freely uh, engage in international commerce. So there's an incentive for people to kind of be pushed into cryptocurrency because of these specific capital controls, which are impacting merchants on the, on the day-to-day, which might not push merchants on the margin in Brazil into, into cryptocurrency. The other interesting area here observed from the report is you know, Brazil saw $2.5 billion worth of realized gains in 2021, but the year prior, that was that figure is much smaller. It was about 300 million U.S. dollars worth of gains, if I recall correctly. And obviously, uh, 2020 was still a slow year as far as, as as crypto prices go. 2021 was obviously a much bigger year. Is there any other conclusions to draw here aside from? You know, prices obviously went up a lot more in, in 2021 than 2020. It wasn't even that prices went up and that's why we see more gains. It's something else happened in 2021, which accounts for a lot of the increase in gains that we saw. And that's the explosion of DeFi. We're looking at a completely different world today than when the last time we did this estimate. In 2020, uh, we saw something like $2.5 trillion in, in total blockchain activity. But in 2021, it was 16 trillion. So we're seeing the mar- markets are growing rapidly. The, sh- the market share of Bitcoin is declining. And that's not even that Bitcoin activity is declining. It's that other things are growing. And Brazil also has a pretty robust DeFi ecosystem, according to our DeFi index, where Brazil ranks 17th overall in terms of adoption of DeFi. So a lot of the gains that we saw are coming from Ethereum, are coming from other cryptocurrencies or other use cases that aren't just speculating on speculating with Bitcoin, but are these other assets largely driven by DeFi, decentralized finance. And Brazil definitely caught captured a share of that growing market. So this would signify then that the market is comprised of people who are of users who are a bit more sophisticated, right? Obviously to use DeFi products, at least, especially back in 2020, 2021, you had to be, you had to have a reasonable amount of kind of crypto fluency, right? To use these types of products. It wasn't just like kind of in the old days where you, you know, you buy some Bitcoin and then you hope it hundred X's or something. It's, it's like, you have to be a bit more of a sophisticated user to find these types of gains. I mean, even just looking at at this analysis as well, like looking at the breakdown by coin, cryptocurrency gains by coin, and with Brazil, pretty much every other country as well, Ethereum was the largest contributor to to the overall gains, right? Followed by Bitcoin and followed by Dogecoin. Everybody, everybody loves Dogecoin, right? Even <laughs> especially but, since Twitter, the Twitter news. <laughs> Doge right, prices right. shot up. <laughs> I, I was living in Brazil when the, the, the whole Dogecoin, uh, Elon Musk on Saturday Night Live uh, incident happened. And it was, yeah, it was a bit chaotic. People were was getting all sorts of questions about, you know, 
like, don't buy it. Don't buy it. You're going to lose your money. Was there anything kind of taking a bit of a deeper dive into like the specific coins that, that Brazilians are, have been sort of engaging with? I mean, obviously you have Ethereum and Bitcoin, but was there anything maybe a bit more, maybe a bit out of the ordinary on that front or, or, or something noteworthy? I mean, you're one other thing to note about Ethereum. I think you did mention this before is if relative to Bitcoin, Ethereum is also seems to be gaining price growing faster as well. So there are just people invested in Bitcoin may have just had a better year or in Ethereum might have just had a better year. if People were just purely speculating on, on ETH. So that, that could be one major factor. We also did see major price gains throughout 2021, which is, which is captured in these gains as well. And there's just a the market is very different from the last year when we did this exercise. There's more people on board. DeFi, you're right to say that it is a kind of an insider's group of people. There's the, they're the crypto experts. And we definitely heard that, but that's not a consistent trend. More and more people on the fringe are coming in to crypto, to using DeFi services, experimenting with DeFi, dabbling in DeFi, even if it's just kind of out of curiosity, that's still kind of a new person on on board. And I don't think that that's going to be the case much for the following year. I think that DeFi is going to follow a similar trajectory to Bitcoin in terms of adoption. Whereas a few years ago, if you were talking about who's using Bitcoin in Brazil, you would have said, oh, it's the tech savvy cryptocurrency, small cohort of people. Whereas now we take for granted how kind of ubiquitous it is throughout throughout the country. And I think DeFi is really kind of following, following the same trajectory. But gains over, overall, it really was just a big year for price gains. It was a, a big year for onboarding new people to cryptocurrency. DeFi changed the game entirely and really blew up the amount of transaction volume we're seeing. And this is not localized to one place around the world. It's really anyone or a lot. We're, we're picking up on cryptocurrency activity in most countries around the world. I mean, given the data that you collected, is there any way you can estimate kind of the total user base out of, of a particular market? Like I'm thinking Brazil in specific, I mean, I've seen estimates between 10 to 15 million people who have basically like interacted with crypto at some point, right? Uh, I think it's a very sort of rough estimate, but just wondering based on the data that you've, uh, that Chainalysis has collected, is there a way to, to maybe guesstimate what that figure might be? We have ways of estimating that. For example, the number of active deposit addresses on services as a proxy for the number of users. There's reasons why that is not correct or is lim- is you would have to caveat that sometimes people have multiple accounts, sometimes services have one account. With blockchain data, we are pretty limited just based on the technically available data that we have reporting actual user numbers, the most reliable data source would be from either an exchange reporting the amount, the number of users at different countries, or honestly, some sort of government survey really is really needed at this point for cryptocurrency users. Um, and I know in the US, the IRS asks everyone now when they're collecting taxes, if, if there's cryptocurrency users, there needs to be a data collection effort kind of at the social level that, that mimics 
other surveys that the governments always run anyway. Like we think about employment surveys, they're run rigorously to see how many people are in the labor force. This is a really big industry and everyone wants to know how many people are involved in it, but we don't really have the data. And so if we're gonna be creating policies around regulating this asset, I would kind of call on governments to add some sort of cryptocurrency question in, in their annual surveys. But yeah, so that's a long kind of answer to say that we estimate it, but we don't, our estimates are just based on blockchain data, number of active deposit addresses. And I wouldn't, there's better, more accurate ways of finding that such as through surveys. Right, right. So there's basically limits. You have probably as good a visibility as anybody into the into into blockchain activity on these networks, but there's still limits as as far as what you can see and, and conclude. You know, serious users probably have at least like four or five wallets, uh, some KYC, some not KYC. Right. So it makes it quite difficult to determine, you know, okay, maybe we have 10 million deposit active deposit addresses, but like how many of these people are like how many of these are just sort of the same person with multiple wallets, right? So I think that that seems to be kind of the fundamental, you know, issue as far as tracking how many people are actually using this. So um, so apologies for asking you sort of a loaded question there, but I just wanted to kind of get your No, it's a really good question. I mean, we do a really good job of motivating our data with with analysis that kind of intuitively makes sense. So institutional money is transfers greater than 10 million. Users might be active deposit addresses, but we really are just a parsing blockchain data and adding our adding the services to that parse data. And so we are restricted on kind of some of the more interesting demographic questions. I get asked how many women are in blockchain? Can you see that with your blockchain data? And I'm like, no, we can't, <laughs> we can't see that. So I guess one last question or two last questions for you here. How do you expect this survey to change for 2022? Uh, we haven't really talked about NFTs. We haven't talked about game five, you know, play to earn gaming. And both of these are becoming quite popular in Brazil among at least certain portions of the population. I just, I actually just wrote the other day about how the former governor of Sao Paulo's son made like $20,000 flipping a NFT. And so, <laughs> so there's clearly like, uh, this, the, this data to, to change, you know, a year from now, I guess with specifics to Brazil and then, and then just generally. Our data is an estimate based on service level flows. So when you come to more nuanced questions, like what is one particular individual, what is their tax burden across many different DeFi wallets, to, to get that, to figure out how much the mayor's son of San Paolo owes on his NFT trades, you're going to need to have more of an investigation based on your understanding of how many wallets this one person has, how much NFT trading have they been doing across all these different wallets? What, when did they buy? When did they sell? What did they do when they were on the exchanges? An individual assessment of an individual's gains is different from what we did in our research, where we just looked at what are the what is the overall sending and receiving behavior on, say, Coinbase. And what is the difference between the amount that was coming into Coinbase versus the amount coming out of Coinbase? That being said, what do I expect to happen over the next year is um, when it comes to gains, that's, that's a very good question. Um, I would have to say that I don't know if the rate at which DeFi will continue to grow 
over the next in the short term in the medium term and in the long term and i don't and i think that your question really depends on that and how game fi grows over the next year how nft grows grows over the next year if that continues at rates where we see bubbly activity and um, the amount of that people are spending on nfts you know grows rapidly then that's going to change what we see in this data so it really depends on the trajectory of cryptocurrency overall. I expect it to continue to grow in aggregate in the long run. Are we going to have a bear market for a few years? Are we going to have a bull run for a few years in the next few months? I don't really know. And so it, these estimates just kind of depend depend upon that. So like in everything in crypto, it's sort of impossible to predict what's going to happen a month from now, much less a year from now, right? I know, yeah. <laughs> One last, uh, one last question here, kind of, you know, big picture takeaway type question, looking at, at the data from this gains report analysis, uh, I mean, kind of the immediate takeaway is just that like the developed countries that, you know, US, UK, Germany, Japan, China are pretty far ahead of the rest of the world, I guess, in terms of crypto wealth distribution and gains thinking here, like what are, what are some of the conclusions that maybe the crypto community globally should be drawing from this and you know are there any sort of action items that maybe people should be thinking about the you know the purpose of this is really to seems fairly heavily skewed in one direction currently so just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that i think that i would have to kind of push back a little bit on the assessment that this is lopsided in terms of gains i and i understand why you want to interpret the data that way we can't, you can't directly compare the absolute value of money in going into crypto associated with the United States to, for example, Nigeria. There's diff totally different population sizes, totally different purchasing powers. When we weight everything for those factors, we have a totally opposite story. We have, and we didn't do this for gains, but we looked at, I, I imagine it would be true for gains, because it's true for total activity. We see at the top of our index, we see Vietnam, we see Pakistan, we see Kenya, Nigeria, all of these countries that we know there are strong crypto markets are popping when you account for their, their GDP and populations. I wasn't surprised to see this chart. The United States does just blow everything out of the water, but even compared to Europe, there's one United States and there's dozens of countries in Europe, all with, again, smaller populations and sizes. So this, this report shouldn't be interpreted as the U crypto gains are only being had in the United States because there's other economic factors that you need to take into account before interpreting those, those figures. That being said, a lot of people in the United States did get rich <laughs> from cryptocurrency and good on them. You know, too bad it wasn't me, but... <laughs> yeah, no, that's appreciate that take. And I think that's helpful context, right? It's sometimes it's easy to just look at these nice, nicely designed charts and you get like, wait a minute, this is, this seems all lopsided and backwards, but yeah, there's always, you know, there's always a bit more nuance to it. Appreciate the, the work that you do there. Um, any kind of concluding thoughts on, on the Brazil or Latam markets generally, and, and maybe anything you're curious to see with how maybe this report changes for next year? Well, I'm always looking for new research ideas. So if anyone has any ideas, they can they can reach out to me. I'm fairly accessible on LinkedIn. But when it comes to LATAM, I mean, it's a really fast growing market and I'm really excited to see how that evolves. I know regulation has been an issue in the past and 
I want to follow that and make and, and see how that develops. But it, they're very, very interesting markets in Latin America and a lot of kind of fertile ground for real use cases of cryptocurrency and commerce to fight hyperinflation in the case of Venezuela or just currency depreciation in the case of Argentina. It seems like different countries in Latin America are set up for crypto wins stories just in terms of how adoption is used to combat certain social problems, but it's all unfolding and it's unfolding slowly. So I think it's hard to really notice small wins. I am continually very surprised by if I take a pause and I look at where we were as a crypto industry and where Latin America was as a crypto industry just a few years ago versus where it is today. And it's in a very different place, much more developed, much more user engagement, much more activity across a broad variety of services that we're seeing. So I would just expect that to continue to grow. Great. Well, Kim, where can folks find more about you and Chainalysis? You can go to our website, chainalysis.com download any of our reports. We have email addresses on there. If you have questions, you can you can reach out to them directly and see our blog on our research page. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time and for sharing some of your insights here. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Obrigado, everyone. And thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the Brazil Crypto Report newsletter on Substack if you haven't already. And please do give the show a five-star rating on your podcast app if you enjoyed this content. We'll be back soon with another great guest.